Good morning, campers. Good morning, campers. Today's activities include a musical number. To start the whole thing off. Lunch today will be champagne with three spoonfuls of sugar. And to end the night, we will be stopping a heist. Yeah! Look at us go. So put on your sunscreen bug spray and camp uniform as we dive into the Great Muppet Caper! Not not the mediocre Muppet Caper or the so-so one. We're talking about the Great Muppet Caper. Not the Great Muppet Marishka Locks. Hargett. <laughs> Sorry. Marishka Hargitay, Sarah. Marishka Hargitay, Sam. Never apologize for making me laugh. Never. <laughs> oh, shit. Uh, I am your camp counselor, Sam, pro bodybuilder in training and current drag queen. And I'm... just killed Pop all over his bed. Oh, shit. Seriously? Oh, yeah, it's fine. Whatever, it's pink. Okay, I spilled tea all over my bed this morning. All right. Yeah, let's keep it going, Sarah. Okay. <laughs> Uh, I'm camp counselor Sarah. It's exposition, darling. It has to go somewhere. And we're here to ask, is it camp? We're diving into popular culture of all kinds to loosely identify what makes something camp. We are not here to be the definitive experts on it, but rather just talk about this often overlooked and frankly queer subgenre. Mm-hmm. So here we are, movie two of our Muppet movie watch through. Yeah, it's been a while. This is going to take us a while. We're going to get through it uh, chronologically, but we're going to get through it together. Together, as a team, as a unit. Exactly. As a found family, if you were. And what's queerer than that? Uh, share. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> Just Question sure. answered. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> Moving on. Uh, so this is the yeah, best Muppet uh, movie. So Agree, disagree. This one? Hmm. Ooh. Uh, you know, I ha I do have to say this. Compared to having just recent, well, quote unquote, recently. You know, in old people terms, we say, yeah. you know, almost a year ago was recently. <laughs> Uh, compared to the Muppet movie, this one actually left me a little bit wanting. Just a really? little bit. Like, I loved it. Yeah, there's there's just a beautiful sincerity of the first one mm -hmm. that I love. Like, I, I love how much it, it, it feels and it puts all of its feelings out on its sleeve and it just says, look, look at these great big Muppety feelings. Everybody should feel these. And you go, yeah, these are great. And this one comes in and it doesn't quite pack the same emotional punch for me. Like, mm, yes, yes. It's, it's got jokes and, and musical numbers and yeah, there's, there's romance. But none of these feelings are really like uh, explored quite as deeply as they were in the Muppet movie, right? Like the mm -hmm. romance itself sort of just happens and then ta-da that's it hooray romance right the 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 very brief dark night of the soul that kermit and fozzy have between each other is solved within five minutes you know we're brothers but we can't always be together 
Except, you know, we'll always be together. Anyway. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it's good. It's great. It's funny. I, I enjoy it. But I think that the Muppet movie does stand like a full head above this one in terms of just nailing its message. This one's message is, wouldn't a heist be funny? Yeah, there's something very strange, I thought, this time around, watching it in the opening when Kermit turns to camera and says, in this movie, Fozzie and I are twins working at the Chronicle newspaper. And I was like, oh, this is this is all a lark. We are meant to understand that this is not within the Muppets canon. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, it's a lot more breaking the fourth wall. There's a lot more... Um, wink, wink, nod, nod, nudge, nudge, eh, eh, yeah. going on. We're, we'll talk I, about it when we get okay. to it, but this is a downright postmodern movie. Yes, this is very postmodern, whereas the Muppet movie itself was just, it was so genuinely what it was, mm-hmm. and it didn't, it didn't feel the need to and the emotional climax of that movie with a great big joke. I mean, yeah, sure, the camera busts through the ceiling of the, the thing, <laughs> but it's only to let the rainbow in. Exactly. Right? Yeah, you, you're right. I never, just, I never thought of it like that. Yeah, well, I mean, you can still absolutely think this is your, your top-of-the-pile Muppet movie, mm-hmm. but I just think, for me, in comparison... I just really enjoyed the emotional payoff of the Muppet movie compared to the jokes a minute that is the Muppet caper. Yeah, this could be an extra long, extra expensive episode of the Muppet show. Mm-hmm. Or whatever various iteration of the Muppet show we are on. So what did you think about this at, when you were watching it as a kid? Like, where did you hold it in the canon? Ah, see, that's where I would definitely be different because as a kid, emotional payoffs meant nothing to me. <laughs> Fuck those emotions. Gimme jokes. Gimme cool motorcycle stuff. I, if I had had access to this one much more readily as a kid than I did as an adult, uh, I think this probably would have been a top of the pile Muppet movie for me. I think, though, as a kid, my my go-tos the three that we had on vhs were christmas carol treasure island and take manhattan what i think i actually yeah i know i know weird isn't it that's very weird Mm-hmm. we had but, yeah, we had christmas movie carol caper and uh and treasure island i didn't watch uh i didn't watch christmas carol until i was an adult Mmm, weird. I know! Mmm. Well, anyway. Yeah, it, it's... It's not a detriment of the film. The film is just... It's just different than its previous one, right? It's mm-hmm. not... The, the great thing about the Muppet movies is that they're rarely beholden to the previous film mm-hmm. or the one that just came before it. Because 
it doesn't need to. These are the Muppets. They can do whatever they want. Oh, let's do a fairy tale this week. Let's do a heist. Let's do a heist again. <laughs> and, yeah, there's a little bit of looking back, but it's only in as much as to just be like, oh, you remember these people, right? Yeah. And that's about it, right? So I think the Muppets are uniquely suited for creative endeavors where a new creator can come in and make the Muppets what they what they want them to be. Mm-hmm. Right? And this works up and down to various degrees where some of the movies are big old flops and others are runaway hits and there's not a rhyme or reason behind which ones do well versus don't do well. Yes. Right? Sometimes it's you just... get Jason Segel's The Muppets and sometimes you mm-hmm. get Muppets from Space. Yeah, right? And even though both of those films were ostensibly about finding out where you belong and who you are as a person, they tackled them very differently, and the results, well, kind of speak for themselves. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but we are here to just talk about the great Muppet Caper, which is their heist film. Well, their first heist film. Mm-hmm. Oddly enough. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see We'll see what we have to say as we go through it. But do you have any background for us today? I do. I have a very small piece of background, but the main background that I want to discuss today is a discussion betwixt you and I about what makes a filmmaker of the 70s. Oh, interesting. First, a little piece of actual traditional background. Kermit, what does BSC stand for? (laughs) I can't believe you're doing that. Great. Okay, (laughs) let's let's go. Let's let's do this. Okay. All right. What do you Uh, think BSC stands for? (laughs) The problem is, I know what BSC stands for. It's big swinging cocks. <laughs> this is this is related to my tweet from yesterday where I said <laughs> I don't know why we don't talk more about the fact that PhD can also stand for prehensile dick. I know why we don't Okay. God damn it. (laughs) Okay. So, after watching this movie for over 30 years, I was like, what does BSC stand for? I always thought it was like a guild thing. It's not. It's an accreditation. It is an accolade. So, basically... All cinematographers belong to, like, the cinematographer's union of whatever particular region that they're in. However, the British Society of Cinematographers was formed in 1949 Mm -hmm. by, and raise yourself for a very English name, Bert Easy. That's easy with two E's. E-A-S-E-Y, a.k.a. Easy E. 
the then head of the Denham and Pinewood Studio com Camera Departments to represent British cinematographers in the British film industry. So basically, you can be in the BSC and be a cinematographer. You can be a cinematographer and not be in the BSC. But you cannot be in the BSC and not be a cinematographer. This is an accolade given to you upon great work. So, for example, I'm going to throw some names at you. Uh, Gilbert Taylor, who was the cinematographer of a little movie you might have heard of called Star Wars. He was a member of the BSC because they were like, you are not just a cinematographer, you are a very, very good cinematographer. See? Okay. All right. It's, it's so a that's why people you can throw on the back of your name. Yeah, it's like MD, it's like PhD. You can say people in my um, air, uh, in my work think that I am very, very good at this job and I am so good that I get to have a couple extra letters after my name. Um, one of the, I think probably the most famous current member of the BSC is Roger Deakins. Love me some Roger Deakins. I don't know who Roger Deakins is. Who's that again? <gasps> Oh, he is a great uh, cinematographer. He did a ton of the Coen Brothers early movies, and um, specifically, you've seen Skyfall? Yes. You know how friggin' gorgeous Skyfall is? Meh. No, no, it is. It is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's a Roger Deakins movie. Um, he's also done stuff like uh, Blade Runner 2049. Um, he did... Uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Oh, Brother, Where Art Thou? Where he... Uh, it's the first film to be completely digitally color corrected. Things like that. He's a tremendous cinematographer who only got his first Oscar very recently weird yeah so he's been at this for a while he's been at this for a while he's been working since 1974 yeah but our my love affair with roger deakins can be another episode what i really wanted to talk about today his background is less background and more uh a discussion of sort of the american new wave and what we consider to be the directors and the people of the 70s. So if I told you like Studio System Falls, 1970s filmmakers rise, who are the names that you would say? Uh, George Lucas, Scorsese, De Palma, a lot of men, unfortunately, a lot yeah. of white men, unfortunately, uh, you know, Spielberg. Yeah. Your, uh, yeah, this oeuvre of gentlemen. I I think I was watching this movie and I was thinking about how this relates to older movies, specifically Hollywood movies of the 1930s and 40s. And then I started thinking about Jim Henson in conversation with those films in much the same way that Spielberg and Lucas are. For example, when we talked about Flash Gordon, how they're pulling from that era and bringing it into a new generation. And I think that Jim Henson is basically doing the same thing. He's just pulling from different genres. Do you see where I'm going here? 
Yeah, yeah. You're you're making the argument that essentially Jim Henson should be seen in the same sort of uh, rarefied air that these auteurs, for lack of a better word, are being seen and that he's not being talked about in the same way. Not that he's necessarily an auteur, but that he was doing very much the same kind of things in his own specific style. Yeah, I think there is an auteur argument to be made um, about Jim Henson's works, but it's very clearly Jim Henson himself is not capital T, capital A, the auteur. It is the company as a whole. Because uh, you cannot say that, like, there's a Muppets without Frank Oz. There's a Muppets without Jerry Nelson. Mm-hmm. Um, so when we look at the films that this is paying homage to, which I think is stuff like the Hosby, Hosby and Crope. Yeah, you know the, the film duo Hosby and Crope? Oh, I love Hosby and Crope, and they're, they're very famous films. Uh, what is that unimaginable horror that's crawling out from the basement? <laughs> Crosby and... kiss me, and... darling! <laughs> <laughs> Crosby and Hope and the Road 2 movies. I was thinking about that in, um, in reflection when we talk about uh, the way this movie says, in this movie, we are... You know, it's the same characters every time. They're just putting on a play of, you know who we are. We're Crosby and Hope. We might have different names, but we're Crosby and Hope. Yeah, 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 and uh, yeah, they're they're various famous Journey Two films, like, um, or sorry, Road to Avon Lee. <laughs> <laughs> their famous Canadian film, Journey to the Center of the Earth. <laughs> yes, and followed by its sequel, Journey Two, the Center of the Earth. <laughs> Fuck the studio for doing that, Jeeves. Ah. Uh. Uh, you also get, um, I would argue that the scenes with Diana Rigg and Miss Piggy are sort of women's feature pastiches, where you have films of the 1930s like The Women, where it's like a day's ladies and high-powered business roles. Some of them are typing and some of them even make coffee. Um, are they friends? Are they enemies? They're both. Exactly! And then we have scenes, the most obvious, I th clearly, I think, is the um, water ballet, where this is uh, taking us back, you could argue, as early as Busby Berkeley, but also, um, yeah. oh my god, I can't believe I'm blanking on her name. I'm thinking Ethel Merman, but it's not, it's not Ethel Merman. Just give me a second. No, it, it'd be really funny if it was Ethel Merman and the Aquapades, because, you know, Merman. S Esther Williams. Esther Williams is who I was thinking of. Who <laughs> was not a merman. Uh, no. Esther Williams had a series of movies where they were like, it seems like you can uh, do a bunch of singing and look really good and do cool acrobatic dives into water. Let's make a whole series water of movies shit. about this. Yeah. Yeah. Can you do some water shit? Yeah, sure, I can do water shit. Exactly. Can you imagine how painful... It would be filming a movie with like 16 hour days when you're in chlorine the whole time. Oh, so wrinkly. <laughs> uh, and then finally, we have the very. Uh, 
I suppose you could say it's a central plot point, this love triangle between Charles Grodin, Kermit, and Piggy, where the the movie thinks that this is very important. The movie acts like this is important. Charles Grodin acts like this is the biggest thing he's ever experienced in his whole life, which we will get to. Um, yeah, it's it's a really weird <laughs> thing that suddenly happens in the film. The horniest man on earth has entered the film. <laughs> he sees a pig and he loves her. <laughs> um, where this would also, I would argue, fits into those women's features of the 30s, where the woman must decide who is the proper man for her. Uh, anyway... Long story short, the punchline of this is misogyny. I think that Jim Henson's works are not considered with people like Malick, like Altman, like Lucas, like Spielberg, because of misogyny. He is not taking from boys' movies. He's taking from girls' movies. Oh, for a second, I thought your argument was that Jim Henson wasn't a misogynist. And I was like, oh, I, I, mean, I, I don't normally I, consider Spielberg to be a misogynist, but maybe he is. I don't know. <laughs> no, I, I would argue that all of these men probably were misogynists in their own way because they were like powerful yeah. men in the 70s and 80s. I would like to think that I would yeah. like them all just the same. <laughs> And, and Spielberg always coming back to the well of, my parents divorced and it wrecked me! <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's the central, that's the, the realization I had upon this watch, that this is exactly in the same mold as Star Wars, as Jaws. This is looking back, this is taking the movies of my childhood, my in quotation marks obviously and Fair going how can I put marks, yeah. my spin yeah. on it hmm that's interesting yeah I mean yeah when when you when you line it up kind of in that that milieu and I, I because of all of these people on top of it Jim Henson's the one who's doing musicals Yes, yes. And very, very traditional musicals. Like, this is the era when musicals were dead. Mm -hmm. Even Disney couldn't make musicals that worked. And Henson is still making musicals mm -hmm. that work. So it's it's just very odd. And this, this movie, unlike the Muppet movie, which had brilliant mu music from... What's his name? Short Guy. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what's his name? Short Guy. Yeah. Um, yeah, we know who we're talking about. Audience, you can figure out who we're talking about. That's the secret clue to this week's episode. Paul Williams! If you can figure out who we're talking about. <laughs> Shit, fuck. I get the bonus point! <laughs> you get the bonus point, and that, that would have let you guys, if you guys had won, you'd be able to write in and get a free candle from Sarah's Etsy shop. Just look up <laughs> Made by Mod on Instagram or Etsy. Oh, I wasn't fishing, but I like what well, I caught. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but because Sarah <laughs> answered it, she gets the candle. So. <laughs> I really saved on shipping this way. Yeah, yeah the music here is... I think I really... This is a, a classic case of I love this movie because I love this movie because I love this movie. Um, the music here, I can recognize it's not as good, but God, I love these songs. Yeah, it's very old Hollywood musical. 
compared mm-hmm. to the previous Muppet movie, which was very modern in its musical tastes. Mm-hmm. Well, modern for that, right? Um, yeah. And that's partially why I prefer the music of the Muppet movie to this one. The, these are great songs, but they're also... The songs kind of feel like jokes in of themselves. Yes. Yes, the the right, artifice is always the there. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. That's my thought. Mm-hmm. Continue. Um no, I uh I agree. I also this movie made me think that like I'm sure among other things, probably like cartoons and stuff too. I thought that adulthood would be going to a lot of places called the Dubonnet Club and uh, dinner and dancing. I only realized recently that I don't think those places actually exist. If they do, they're like country clubs. And I will never have my Miss Piggy moment from this movie, which I'm just going to have to deal with and grieve Mm -hmm. in my own way. Not unless you uh, swindle your way into a job and then pretend to be a high-powered executive. you got a working girl yourself, girl. <laughs> the problem with... Uh, now, the, the old Groucho Marx line about I would never want to belong to a club that would let me in uh, applies doubly to I would never want to belong to a country club that would let me in. Good God. <laughs> Hello, we're the waspiest people imaginable. Yeah. I'm I'm so white I'm practically see-through and I don't want to go there. <laughs> My Crayola yeah, color is fair, clear. You're you're not like proper white. You're that Irish white. And that's just <laughs> not the same. Yeah. I got that uh, that fiery Irish temper that says that makes me say things like, "Hey, how come there's no people of color here?" <laughs> that fiery Irish te- temper that makes all the girls scream. Grease lightning! <laughs> uh, but that's it. That's, that's, my, uh, that's, that's my call to put uh, Jim Henson into not just the, the pantheon of like great entertainers and great children's entertainers, but that I think he genuinely is not considered... Um, a part of his generation he's considered sort of timeless which his movies are on purpose uh, but mm-hmm. that something doesn't have to be say the happy time murders to be considered a reinvention of the genre yeah it's it's interesting and it's it's so strange that he's a contemporary of all those auteurs that we listed previously and yet we don't talk about him in the same breath mm-hmm. as those guys, right? It's never like, ah, yeah, great filmmakers from the, the 70s, 80s, Spielberg, De Palma, Henson. It's always, well, you know, he's a children's entertainer, so it's an entirely different kind of thing, mm-hmm. right? Which is wildly untrue. A lot of things that are made for children are fantastic and very well made. And oftentimes better than what adults make. <laughs> and definitely didn't turn one of the hosts of this show gay. Nope. Nope. Sarah, I can't believe you were told, turned gay by a, a Muppet. Which <laughs> one was it? Which Muppet did this to you? <laughs> I didn't watch Labyrinth until I was out of puberty. This can't be pinned on me. 
Yeah. Point out on the Muppet where the Muppet may have Muppeted you. <laughs> no, Sarah, don't. <laughs> Let's get into uh, the 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 meat, the felt of the Great Muppet Caper. <laughs> the felt of it all. Oh God, they're so felty and foamy and various things. Ah, oh, great. My notes app just uh, restarted and decided, hey, I'll go up to the top. No. So give me a second while I figure this out. Okay. <laughs> Let's vamp for a second. Oh, yeah, yeah. Something that I didn't mention is um, the artistic and technical uh, creations that Jim Henson is achieving in this movie, I think, are um, equal to what several of his contemporaries are doing. So it feels like the Muppet movie is like the proof of concept, right? Muppets can helm their own movie. Whereas this, it's like, mm -hmm. let's take everything that Muppets can't do and let's build a whole sequence around it. Let's have whole sequences where they are bicycling in the park. Let's have an underwater <laughs> sequence, for Christ's sake. Um, yeah. It feels like they were like deliberately, let's push this technically to the point where you can see like, sometimes there's human performers in a Muppet suit. Sometimes there's remote controls. Uh, sometimes, as you and I have both agreed is sacrosanct, Muppets ride bicycles, and it is magic. Yeah, uh, I do not want a single person to point out the artifice of Muppets riding bicycles, because to me, a Muppet is a real thing. I just haven't met one yet. They are <laughs> the uh, underseen minority in, in all of the human race. The most underseen minority. I uh, I was thinking this time around too. I was looking at. I was really. You ever really look at a Muppet man? <laughs> and it's so interesting because most of the time, nothing on the Muppet's face moves except for their mouth. Right? You know, occasionally you'll get some special effects with their eyes, with their um, eyelids moving, and that sort of thing. But I was thinking about how interesting it is that these creatures whose faces don't move, and especially their eyes don't change can feel so expressive to us it's it's honestly so strange i was i was like there were parts of the movie where i was staring at kermit or piggy's face and i was like that face isn't moving the mouth is opening and that's causing other stuff in the face to move but this is not moving but i can see the sadness in kermit's eyes yeah there's uh there's an interesting phenomenon about that that um the makers of oddly enough hello kitty have observed and have you ever noticed that hello kitty does not have a mouth yes and how does she scream <laughs> internally sarah internally yeah. just like the rest like of we us all you're not do special <laughs> yeah yeah, stop lording that over us, Hello Kitty. No, uh, the, part of the point of it is they found with Hello Kitty, not by her having this same expression, which is just two eyes and a nose, mm -hmm. children can easily project their emotions onto Hello Kitty instead. Mm -hmm. So it's not that it's a removal of emotion and and expressiveness, but instead it becomes a blank canvas through which the audience can project the emotion that they feel that this character needs. Right? That's why a lot of um, 
you know, children's toys, you will find that they have very simple emotions, right? The exaggerated emotion ones eventually become kind of creepy. Where it's like, yeah. oh, oh no, that's too much. Uh, <laughs> if I saw this, if I saw this doll in a spookily lit room, I would think it's going to murder me, right? But like, you see Barbie. Barbie has a very neutral kind of smile, right? It's mm -hmm. a little smile. It's not a big one, right? Even the Bratz dolls, which you know, while being hyper, I'm not going to say sexualized because that would be projecting at mm -hmm. that point, but. Uh, you know, exaggerated body proportions, I'll say. Yeah. Uh, even they have very neutral facial features, and it just makes it easier for kids to empathize with those. You know, I, I was and looking I around because I don't have any I don't have any Hello Kitty stuff like within arm's reach, but I do have a bunch of Gudetama stuff, and I'm looking at his face, and I never realized before his face is basically the exact. I mean, he has two dots and like a slit for a mouth, and his face is basically the same in every picture, but I am inferring what he's doing in that picture. It's really neat. Mm-hmm. It's just this fun little psychological trick that we play on ourselves, not not out of any malice, but it's it's a, it's such a human thing of, yeah, I want to project emotions onto these things. But Muppets it's... are absolutely real, and they have facial expressions. <laughs> and they all live in their own little town together, and they have a studio, and they put on shows, and someday I'll go see them. Yeah, yeah. When I was a very little kid, every single one of my birthday wishes was, I wish to meet Miss Piggy and Kermit. Oh, is that true? Yeah, I did. I did. I used Aww. to try and find four-leaf clovers to try and wish to to meet Kermit, uh, Kermit and Miss Piggy. <laughs> I read a thing a while ago that was yeah. like, what What if you could travel in time and find your friends when they were babies and hold them when they were babies? And I have never heard something from you, Sam, that made me want to do that more. <laughs> oh, thank you. Oh, I feel adorable. But now I have to feel manly mouth. Now, <laughs> tell me how strong I am. You know, you were saying the other day that you uh, you found yourself pitching your voice down. And uh, you've mm -hmm. become a miniature meat cutter. You know why? Why? Because <laughs> you're a little butcher. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, God, what's wrong with us? Um, <laughs> this is your brain on Muppets. Yeah, okay. Hey, speaking of Muppets, let's get <laughs> this movie started. Yes. I say as I look into the camera. Uh, well, the movie <laughs> starts with animal eating part of the title card. Great, love that. Always <laughs> fun. Ah, And we fly by him to a hot air balloon, our second hot air balloon in a row. Ooh, where yes. Gonzo, Fozzie, and Kermit are in it, and they are watching the credits go by. And no, they they are watching the credits go. Like they're yes. talking about the credits. You know, it's it's not a like ah ooh. It's very much the ah the great Muppet Caper. That's a great title. Oh, who are all these people? It's funny. The bit it's about but, uh, um, they all have families. I. As a kid watching that, I was like, oh, they do all have families, and all of their families like seeing this. It uh, it really helped, like, kid me with <laughs> the old style of credits where they would show 
everything before the movie, and I was like, let's get started! Yeah. Yeah, if only they just made credits fun at the beginning of movies. That's the trick. Right? We we should go back to the time of credits at the beginning of movies. I'm not enjoying this, this new model of, we'll put all the credits at the end, where I sit there and go... I have no idea what film I'm watching until the final set, uh, frame of the film is John Wick 4. <laughs> and then I go, oh, that's what I've been watching. I think Pirates of but the Caribbean, the our- first one, did that. They had just a title card and nothing else. And that movie was insanely popular. So everybody was like, well, clearly the key to Pirates of the Caribbean success is not putting credits at the start of the film. Yeah, I think I think we need to go. We used to be a proper country. Yeah, <laughs> that's all I'm saying. You used to have so to fast have our, forward our... through the song <laughs> written for the movie, summarizing the plot of the movie before you could watch the movie. Yeah, for for children, <laughs> stupid kids. <laughs> well, now we have our we have our trio, Gonzo, Fozzie, and Kermit. And it's kind of like the Riker, Data, and uh, Data and Captain Picard of Next Generation, right? These three, they're best friends. They're the lead characters in basically all the movies going forward to some degree or another. And uh, yeah, they're talking about uh, credits. Hooray! And then they land the hot air balloon in a studio backlot meant to be an American city, but this is absolutely 100% shot in the UK. Oh, yeah. Um, a quick word about this hot air balloon sequence. I think this was also done because they were like, you know what would be really, really, really hard? Is to shoot the Muppets in a hot air balloon. And then they did it. Push those boundaries. Because we don't want to see the same old Muppets every single time. Look, they're behind a desk. Look, they're just in the frame of the camera whoop de doo but this movie comes out saying what if we made this really difficult for our puppeteers Jim Henson came out and was like I'm not like other puppeteers I'm kind of a sicko I'm gonna put these guys up in the sky I'm Jim Henson I'm extreme and then he skateboarded away yeah mind freak and then he levitated <laughs> a whole muppet <laughs> So they have their first mu- uh, musical number, Hey, a Movie. And it's great. There's dancers and singers and many car wrecks and a robbery and a couple of explosions and a bunch of Muppets and a few chickens. Yeah. It's, I have it's to great. watch this sequence this- uh, on YouTube. I would say once every two months for my sanity, just to keep my, my humors in balance. Oh. Ah, okay. So, you know, you got to balance out the black bile with some uh, Muppet musical number. Exactly. When I find myself in times of choleric, the Muppet caper calls to me. Speaking Mm -hmm. words of wisdom, hey, it's a movie. (laughs) Hey, it's skin. (laughs) (laughs) You stuck the landing. Hey. So they use this musical number as a, a means to explain to us, the audience, that, hey, this is a movie, I mean, hence the title, and in this movie, 
Fozzie and Kermit are identical twin brothers who are also <laughs> investigative reporters, and Gonzo is their photographer. This identical twin brother plot will only be used for jokes. It will not be used for actual plot anything. So, uh, yeah, enjoy that. Yeah. And they are looking for a big scoop. Something to really put them on the map. Well, Gonzo has found a chicken, so he's going to take some pictures of her. And while they're all standing around watching him take pictures of a chicken... Oh, an exciting robbery happens in the background. Oh, no. This is one of my complaints about this movie. Charles Grodin shows up here, has one line in the song all to himself, as if to say, hey, I'm Charles Grodin. Look at how great I am in this Muppet movie. And then he fucks off for the first half of the movie. He doesn't show up again until 45 minutes in. I checked the time. Well, also, it's Charles Grodin. Like, who's sitting around saying, oh, Charles Grodin of Beethoven is here? Because Beethoven isn't out at this point. Nobody's saying that. <laughs> I uh, I do enjoy when Charles Grodin passed, uh, it was in the last couple of years, a bunch of quotes from him You enjoyed the- that? You cruel bitch! <laughs> I enjoyed when Charles Grodin passed. There was a. Neither you or I were alive when this movie came out. We were not experiencing the publicity uh, as in real time. And a bunch of publicity for this movie came out, including Charles Grodin talking about how Miss Piggy was his favorite co star of all time and how he. He was tempted to have affairs with several of his co-stars, but Miss Piggy was the only one who was really... <laughs> like, this man carried horny for Miss Piggy kayfabe for decades. <laughs> That's great. That's tremendous. Yes. I, I wish nothing but the best for every human who performs in a Muppet movie that they continue to perform... As though the Muppet movie, like, Muppets are just regular-ass people. I understand that Charles Grodin had a life and a successful career outside of children's movies, but I was born in the 80s, he's this and Beethoven, and that's it. He, yeah, he's a, he's a dad performer. Mm-hmm. He is like a Disney Channel adult. Yeah. 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 You get it. Well, anyway, um... They miss the robbery, and uh, they they spend the rest of the song explaining to you why things are happening, because this movie doesn't just break the fourth wall. It uh, Kool-Aid mans its way through that fourth wall, and then finds your fourth wall, and starts to destroy that as well. (laughs) So now we cut to The Chronicle, which is the, the newspaper that the three... Muppets works. I was going to say boys, but we know that canonically Gonzo is a non-binary whatever. Yes. Mm-hmm. So I respect Gonzo's non-binariness. Uh, the Muppets are getting chewed out by their J. Jonah Jameson-esque boss, demanding for pictures of the robbery and not Spider-Man. Okay, do you know why this casting is funny? No, I have no idea. Please make this joke work for me. <laughs> Because a few years earlier, the same actor had played a publisher at the Washington Post in a little movie called All the President's Men. 
Okay. So you have to imagine that this is saying, uh, it's like, it's like if we had somebody who was best known for being in, let's say, Spotlight, and then we made a Muppet movie about investigative reporters and cast the same guy, and we're like, but last time, this guy was investigating the Catholic Church's cover-up of child abuse, and we're like, but now it's funny! It's that, but Watergate. (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad it's not about the Catholic cover-up of child abuse for Muppets. Yeah, so so that's the idea. It's supposed to be funny that this guy who is, you know, playing it completely deathly serious has been seen in this kind of role before, but now he's managing Muppets. (laughs) That's wild. It's Mm -hmm. perfect. That is wild. It's great. Uh, we learn that fashion mogul Lady Holiday, and I assume that Lady is her first name because she never gets a first name in this film, played by Di- Dame Diana Rigg. I apologize. Dame Diana Rigg, rest in peace, was the one who had her jewels stolen in this robbery. And then there's a whole bunch of jokes about Kermit and Fozzie being identical twins and how he can definitely tell them apart, except when Fozzie puts his hat on and then he goes, oh, wait, no, I'm having yeah. a hard time right now. <laughs> Yeah. So they convince their boss to send them to jolly old England so they could interview Lady Holiday and solve the crime because apparently that's what journalists do. Yeah, every journalist I know is seeing this joke of uh, them being treated very poorly by being flown to England and crying. Well, they're being flown in ninth class, to be fair. They don't serve food in ninth class. Nope, nope. But again, this scene here of them in the crates talking to each other and whatnot, at one point, an air steward comes in and throws them out in their crate. How? Okay, so I've got a theory about this. I've got a theory about this. Mm -hmm. It's picked up off of the performers, and then you very deliberately do not see the bottom of the crates. So I have to assume that Fozzie is lying in there lifeless, handless, the the literal hand of God that puts the divine spirit into him, uh, (laughs) absent from the room, as he is thrown onto a cushion just off camera. No... No, that doesn't work for me. Those are <laughs> those are real beings kept in crates, and they were thrown out of a real airplane, where they safely landed in a pond in the UK, somewhere in the UK. A yeah, pond. I have to assume that um, that the Muppet version of the Sistine Chapel, where the hands are touching, it's just a hand touching a butthole. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it would be an enormous gaping butthole. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, this isn't a fingertip job. You know, we could we could make a whole bunch of very dirty jokes right here, but I think <laughs> we should save most of those dirty jokes for if and when we get to the Happy Time Murders. Instead, <laughs> because I, I feel very wrong talking about Kermit's gaping butthole. Oh, it's so strange, too, because I don't know. They're so lifelike. Even when I see, like, Gonzo throw himself onto the street uh, to hail a cab later on, I'm like, okay, I I recognize that 
Gonzo's body is lying there lifeless. But I'm like, I bet if I looked really close, I would see him moving. Yeah. Yeah, because there's always that part in your brain that's just... But they're real. Exactly. They are real. And nothing will change that. They're real. And nothing will change that. No matter how many times you explain the trick, my brain's just going to go, I don't need to know this. Get out of here, information. (laughs) Well, anyway. They ask a nearby gentleman for instructions to the cheapest place that they can stay, preferably free. And he sends them on their way to the Happiness Hotel. So somehow they make it to London, despite their absolute lack of funds. And they get thrown out on the doorstep of the hotel. And this is where they get to utter the famous line, Sarah, if you will... If this is the Happiness Hotel, I hate to see what the sad one looks like. Oh. Thank you. This film is like a rosary in my head. I, I don't even have to think about the <laughs> words anymore. It's like singing the National Anthem. I Who thinks about the National Anthem when they're singing it, you know? The words just come out of me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like nursery rhymes. You exactly. don't have to think about the words. You just... It just is. And then when you do think about the words, you go, huh, that's, that's a choice. Yeah. So what they find inside is that the hotel is run down, dirty, falling apart, madhouse, filled with various Muppet characters, including all of the electric mayhem, many chickens, some hill folk, uh, rats, Sam the Eagle, Lou Zealand, the guy who throws the boomerang fish, uh, who else is there? There's uh, the Muppet News Anchorman guy is there. Yeah, yeah. Muppet News. I was thinking uh, when I was seeing Janice in this that this is like, she's wearing like a, a pair of sweatpants and a tube top. And I was like, oh, Janice invented Zoomer fashion. Janice is so far ahead of us. Oh, yeah. All we need, all we need to do now is learn how to close our eyes and just bob our heads back and forth. <laughs> okay. I what noticed in one shot where she's singing in uh, in the Happiness Hotel song that she she's bobbing her hair back and forth, right? And uh, one of the strands of hair gets in her mouth while she's singing, and I was like, "Oh, let's get that out. That's nasty." And then again, I went, oh, "She's a she, she's a Muppet. She's not the the Muppet isn't singing, Sarah." <laughs> you you half expect her muppety hand to reach up and pull that out of her mouth exactly because that's what you would do right exactly. and you are basically a muppet too <laughs> uh, we're a muppet for so, muppet friendship the trio are shown their room and decide to get a good night's sleep which ends in a gag that has them catapulted into the wall it's great Movies th- led me to expect a lot more Murphy beds in the world. That's what those are called? Murphy beds? Yep. A Murphy bed Sarah, is a bed that are, folds are up. You, Any bed that I'm in is are, a Murphy you, bed. <laughs> an Eddie Valiant has Murphy one too fortune. in Roger Rabbit. <laughs> mm. Sarah, heiress of the Murphy bed fortune. <laughs> yeah, just like Sparina with her pizza tiara. Yeah, yeah. You wouldn't talk to me if you knew that my father was uh, Mr. Murphy, inventor of the Murphy. 
Unfortunately, my father is Mr. Murphy, inventor of Murphy's Law. Oh, no. <laughs> Shit. But I thought you For guys For legal reasons, rights, that is know? a joke. <laughs> For legal reasons, that is a joke. Uh, all right, so the next day at Lady Holiday's Fashion House, which we never really find out what the name of it is. It just is a fashion place. She's uh, Lady Holiday. She's the face Lady- of it. Yeah, yeah. You know, like how Coco Chanel was the face of Coco Chanel. Yeah, she's an, a titled Englishwoman with a American brother. You know how common that is. Yeah, happens all the time. Yeah, you you wake up one morning and there's a Charles Grodin in your house. You just go, <laughs> all right, fine, I'll roll with this, I guess. I've been setting traps, and but they're unethical. <laughs> My unethical Charles Grodin glue traps. <laughs> uh, Lady Holiday is working on her latest line, and uh, she's doing so by... Just, just some insane shit. You know, we, we talked previously, we referenced in a previous episode, um, The Devil Wears Prada. Mm-hmm. Now imagine The Devil Wears Prada where, you know, um, Meryl Streep's walking around just destroying half of the gowns as she's doing it. <laughs> and cutting models' hair. Holy shit. With with fabric scissors these enormous fabric scissors she just pulls them out snips off a chunk of her hair and goes yeah that's fine which if you have fabric scissors is really annoying for two reasons number one never cut anything else with fabric scissors yeah yeah well dame diana rake is everything she's gorgeous she's the moment she's she's opulent she floats through this movie enunciating her lines and bringing a level of high class English woman to this film uh, babe alert was going off in my head this whole time oh, she's got cheekbones and oh, she, she's introduced gorgeous. in the movie wearing a little veil again something that I thought was going to happen a lot more in adult life was wearing a little veil yeah, she was in her early forties yeah, here. Nobody's dead. She's just glamorous. Yeah. Yeah, so, I uh, I feel like I have not had the veil wearing opportunities that I thought I was going to be afforded. You can make your own veil wedding oppor- uh, wearing opportunities by marrying someone and then having him killed, and wearing it at the funeral. There you go be the change you want to see in the world. And by change, <laughs> I mean Black Widow. Yeah. When who should show up at uh, Lady Holiday's door? Why, it's Miss Piggy looking to become a high fashion model. And she forces her way into Lady Holiday's office and forces her <laughs> portfolio on her. And they go through it. Uh, oh, this is me being demure, aloof. Adventurous. It's daring. Daring. It's a great series of jokes because it's the same. I love it when Frank Oz like lets that, that growl come into his voice. It's hilarious. 
it's it's one of those things of uh, yeah okay we're we're living in the time of of terrible people saying bad things about you know trans people and drag queens and all that kind of stuff and here's frank oz doing miss piggy's voice for who knows how many decades nobody fucking bats an eye at that we just we all go yeah that's miss piggy that is a lady that's high femme right there it's high femme even when she does the kind of thing yeah because she she can go high yeah and then her hair looks great afterwards it does look great. It always looks great. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, Lady Holiday gives her a break in hiring her as a new receptionist, not as a model. And Miss Piggy is all over it. She is ecstatic. Just bouncing around the room. I can I'm... do copies. I can do take notes. I can type out words. Sit. I can sit. I'm very good at sitting. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I have to jump in here. I was wondering how long Miss Piggy had been around. So I clicked on her Wikipedia page. In 2015, she was honored by the Brooklyn Museum's Elizabeth A. Sackler Center for Feminist Art for her achievements and contributions in breaking gender roles in the entertainment industry. Hell yes. The, the Brooklyn Museum's Elizabeth A. Sackler Center is named after Elizabeth Sackler, a member of the Sackler family who own Purdue Pharmaceuticals and are responsible for OxyContin. Oh, that's less hell yes. <laughs> Miss Piggy, that's good. Being honored by a museum, that's good. The Elizabeth A. Great. Sackler yeah. Foundation, that's bad. For contributions to feminist art, that's good. Miss Piggy is performed by a man. That's bad? But is it bad? I don't know. I went on a whirlwind and I had to take you with me. Let's get back to the movie. It's, I mean, it's it's the same thing with Bob's Burgers, right? We, oh. we know Linda Belcher is a woman. We know Tina Belcher is a woman. They just are. I don't care. I don't want to see who's voicing them. I never want to see who's voicing them because the Linda Belcher voice is a woman's voice to me. Mm-hmm. It just is. Yeah. I, I don't I don't think twice about it. I'm never taken out of the moment where I go, ooh, that sounds like a man. It's just, no, it's, it's Linda Belcher's voice. Yeah. It's great. Uh, so Lady Holiday gives Miss Picky an exposition dump, literally. And uh, tells her about her delinquent brother, Nikki, and that she wouldn't even trust him with the, her most valuable possession, the fabulous baseball diamond. There is a scene shortly after this where I saw a joke that I had never seen before in the movie, which is that... Is it uh, the... His office door? Is it... Yeah, his office door. Yes, I had never <laughs> seen that joke before. <laughs> What what does it say on his office door? Uh, irresponsible parasite. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I Live too in the dream, like baby. Office job. Yeah, yeah. That's all I want. An office with that word put on the front. <laughs> irresponsible parasite. Well, Lady Holiday leaves for lunch and leaves Miss Piggy in charge. 
Well, three models that Lady Holiday had dismissed earlier leave just as our trio of Muppets enters the building. And this is important. These models are Marla, Darla, and Carla. And they're aloof and mysterious. And you think, ah, well, that's just how models are, being thin and hungry all the time. But no, these women hunger for a little bit more than just food. They hunger for... Crime. <laughs> uh, I love your job as copywriter for women's prison movies. <laughs> I, I plan on selling this episode to Criminal at some point. So. <laughs> yes, this is another one of our true crime episodes in that we are real and we are discussing a crime. <laughs> The crime is that there isn't enough Muppet content out there. Mm -hmm. uh, you were mentioning the fabulous yeah. baseball diamond. A, a joke that, much like the Mallory Gallery, took me years to realize was a joke. Yeah. The fabulous baseball diamond. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's only ever mentioned that way. Nobody says the, the baseball... Let's say I can't even say it. It's, it's the fabulous. It's making diamond. you sick just to think about saying it. <laughs> Disgusting, yuck, yuckety yuck. Uh, well, anyway, Kermit makes his way through the lobby and to Lady Holiday's office, where he opens the door to find Miss Piggy standing up on the desk, um, fantasizing. I guess is the best way of saying this when she spots him and literally falls for him because she falls off the end of the desk and she falls for him. It's a meat cute. It's adorable. Yeah. Literally a meat cute because she's made oh. of meat. Him too, I guess, technically. <laughs> yeah. And, and they're both cute. Yeah. 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 I mean, they're not my types, <laughs> you know, being hetero. I was thinking while I was watching this that I am a Miss Piggy looking for her Kermit because Kermit is my type. Oh, yeah, of course Kermit's your type. Yeah, he's you just know, a skinny he's... little weedy thing. Yeah, he's he's a little nerd uh, and he's mostly submissive except for when you really need it. And then he gets <laughs> a little dom in him and then you're like, ooh, ooh. Kermit. Didn't know you have this to you. Yeah, exactly. That's the kind of man for you. Yeah. We gotta find you a Griffin Newman type. Oh my god, I would love Kermit that. The frog. Griffin Newman, if you're listening to our podcast, uh, uh unironically slide on over into My DMs are <laughs> open, Griffin Newman. Yeah. He's very much your type. It's, it's yeah, wild. Is. <laughs> uh but anyway. Um Kermit believes that Miss Piggy is Lady Holiday, and quite frankly, she doesn't correct him because she's working girl her way up to the top, you yeah. see. So she arranges to have dinner with him, and for him to pick her up from her fictional apartment, which he figures out through a series of guesses. <laughs> I'm going to make this, somebody do this thing. the next time I meet them, just so um, uh, to protect my own location. Not because I'm homeless like Miss Piggy, but because uh, 
don't know. You figure it out, bitch. Yeah, yeah. I bet you live in some fancy highbrow uh, street. That's it? Highbrow street. <laughs> you figured it out. Uh, hopefully the guy that, when Griffin Newman asks for your address, he doesn't say, so what, you live in some kind of gutter? And you go, yep, a gutter. Gutter street. <laughs> I live on Jenny Agutter street. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Folks around here just call it the gutters. Yeah. You know, like they do. Like Soho or WeHo or uh, Homo, <laughs> Robo, Zocomo. Now I'm just a Jadoon. I'm sorry. Yes. Um, this was the first time I had ever seen noted transphobe John Cleese in a movie, and I thought he was very funny. I definitely didn't get it, but I thought he was funny. Mm-hmm. We'll get to that in a bit. Okay. With the noted transphobe. Uh, well, the Muppets hitch a ride in a taxi after Gonzo throws himself in front of one and head back to the hotel, crashing through the front door. Uh, this is Beauregard. He's a terrible taxi driver. And that's the joke. He's he's a bad taxi driver. Why don't you have Very an accent? Dead. Hey, I'm lucky to have a driver's license. Oh, oh, oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, he's fine. It's, yeah. it's a nice little scene, but, you know, it doesn't do much for the plot. Whatever. Uh, they prep for dinner through another musical number in a kind of Fred Astaire way. You know, Kermit's in his little tuxedo and top hat and boutonniere. He's doing some dance steps. His shadow does some dance steps. Da, 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 da. It's cute. Again, I thought I was going to be in a lot more situations that required tuxedos. No, it turns out it's just prom. Ugh. And maybe the odd wedding. Maybe. Yeah, well, Fozzie and Kermit have a bit of a heart-to-heart -heart about Kermit needing to be a bit more independent from his brother. But it doesn't really amount to much because then Fozzie gets invited along every anyway, and he brings the rest of the gang as well. <laughs> so now we cut to Peggy breaking into her fake place, which is owned and currently occupied by an aged-up transphobe John Cleese and his wife, Dorcas, which is a name that we probably should never go back to. I don't like it. <laughs> yeah, I I probably, I never really noticed it, but I definitely would have thought that he was calling her Dorcas. Yeah. <laughs> this is my Dorcas wife. They are having a very boring dinner where he's trying to prove that he is remotely interesting. And uh, it turns out she hasn't left the house in 12 years, but she's interested in potentially leaving the house if he had to go out and buy something interesting. Calf's foot jelly. Like calf's foot jelly. Yeah. 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 The most interesting thing that you can think of. It's, it's a funny said scene. Yeah. It said we're going to film in England, but we're not going to respect the English. Yeah. Absolutely. But uh, throughout this whole scene, because this goes on for a while, this thing's like five minutes long. Miss Piggy is breaking into the house, and she's not doing it stealthily because she is a Muppet. <laughs> and stealth is nowhere near their vocabulary. 
show me a stealthy Muppet and I'll show you a lie. <laughs> but uh, yeah, because they're rich upper crust people, it's all keep calm and carry on despite the banging and crashing and Muppetiness of it all. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Kermit rings the doorbell, which the occupants ignore, forcing Miss Piggy to get up and say, I'll get it, and answer the door. So she gives Kermit a quick tour of the place while John Cleese follows behind and finally corners them in the closet where they ask for a nice restaurant to go to. He sends them to the Dubonnet Club, which is really more of a supper club than it is a restaurant. <laughs> and they leave, to which his wife comes up and asks, who was that? Oh, that was a pig and a lizard. Well, what did they want? Well, they wanted to go to a restaurant, and I told them about the Dubonnet Club. And she says, well, that's really more of a supper club than it is a restaurant. This is the kind of hilarious jokes you were getting in this section of the movie. I have to assume the adults were dying in the theaters. I think it's quite funny, but it's not a laugh-out-loud kind of funny. It's very much a let's-rib-the-English kind of funny. Mm-hmm. It's funny that you pointed out that John yeah, Cleese is aged up in this. It looks like they sprinkled baby powder in his hair and eyebrows. Yeah. Uh, but <laughs> this was literally, again, the first time I had ever noticed that. Because, again, John Cleese looked old when he got famous and has barely aged in the 50 years since then. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, He was 42 at the time of filming this compared to his fictional wife, who was 62 at the time of filming this. Oof, he was basically the same age as Diana Rigg at the time. That is not a favorable comparison. No. Well, Kermit and Piggy hitch a ride with the Electric Mayhem and various hotel guests on a converted double-decker bus and finally arrive at the club after a very brief musical number. Arguably one of Electric Mayhem's weaker songs. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's just not that good. It's, it's fine. Well, it's not the, bad. It's just not just what you would put on for best of the electric mayhem. No, absolutely not. Well, we get to the club and it's got this 2001 Space Odyssey kind <laughs> of aesthetic inside of it where everything is white and gleaming and reflective surfaces. And for, for a room that's got a ton of mirrors in it, you never see the cameras. I love this in movies. When you've got a reflective room and the the operators and directors are just like, yeah, we put all these mirrors up and we hid all of the cameras. Don't know how they pulled they, it off. They just do. There's a shot where one of Marla, Carla, and Darla arrive. One of them walks behind a mirror. We watch uh, the reflection yes. of the one across the room walk across the mirror and as soon as she disappears from the mirror the other one comes out and it's just one of those shots that I've seen a thousand times and suddenly my eyes were open to the craft work behind this I was like holy shit this was incredible this is like a throwaway shot I didn't know we were talking about German industrial music Kraftwerk <laughs> I thought you were talking about throwaway shot of the short family <laughs> Yeah, no, it's it that that shot also really stood out to me where I was just like, yay, 
Woo! I love this. <laughs> yeah, trick. Jim Henson's just flexing on us. This is this is quite literally his Empire Strikes Back. He had his big shot. It blew up bigger than anyone expected, and now they're like, "Fuck! Do what you want with this one, I guess." Yeah, unfortunately, this movie was a quote-unquote flop compared to the first one. It didn't make quite the money that they were expecting. But boo! It's a perfect what? movie. We still got, we still got like seven more movies out of it. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> who are we complaining to? <laughs> <laughs> well, the four of them. Kermit, Piggy, Gonzo, and Fozzie are seated and shocked, shocked at the menu prices. It's supposed to be like a steak, the cost of an Oldsmobile. Yeah. Ridiculous. It's funnier the yeah. the less Oldsmobiles are in uh, regular circulation. That joke gets funnier. Mm-hmm. When who should swan in, but it's the real... Lady Holiday and her brother Nikki. <gasps> and she's in this beautiful apricot dress with a little fascinator on the front. Oh, it's gorgeous. Again, I thought a matching cloak was going to be a necessity for a lot more outfits. Mm-hmm. And she's got this stunning diamond necklace on. Because if there's one thing that Lady Holiday loves, it's diamonds. Expensive I have diamonds. often looked at Diana Rigg and gone... A bit plain. Maybe we can zhuzh this up. <laughs> yeah. Tons of people every day looking over at Diana Rigg saying, yeah, she's okay at best. <laughs> How can we make the audience want to look at her? <laughs> she doesn't have any natural allure of her own. What if we put <laughs> some sparkles on that neck? <laughs> Uh, well, anyway, this is the the very famous scene that I like to quote, which is, I feel as though thieves are breathing down my neck. Thieves aren't breathing down your neck. As he breathes down her neck. Charles Gordon is also <laughs> doing like a very fun, like Sam Rockwell style drunk in this uh, scene, which is very fun. Yeah, it's a kind of, like, hepcat. He's snapping his fingers to the music and mm-hmm. won't stop shimmying around. Yeah, <laughs> Sam Rockwell is a very good comparison there. Well, he uh, he quick, quickly sneaks over to the back door and jimmies it open to allow his robbery cohorts, the three models, Darla, Marla, and Carla, into the club. Well... Kermit and Piggy decide to hit the dance floor and a romantic number starts up. And this is this is their fall in love moment. They've had their meet cute, but now this is where the passion really comes in. But oh no, what's this? Nikki also sees Miss Piggy on the dance floor and starts to fall for her as well. Oh no. It's the tiniest love triangle. It yep. like it really doesn't amount to much. Like there's no will she won't she with both of them. It's no I love this frog. You're a weirdo. <laughs> yeah. And also Charles Groden's here. Yeah. <laughs> the, this this whole number is uh the big Busby Berkeley kind of thing. There's there's choreography, there's dancers, there's 
uh, tap dancing. There's you know, all the waiters and the waiting staff somehow know how to do backflips and two steps and shit. You know, it's as if they've practiced this forever, but it's all spur of the moment, right? Yeah, it reminded me a lot of the club scene in, um, oh, the Barbara Stanwyck movie that we covered, Ball of Fire, where it's just like, let's stop for a while and watch a pretty lady dance. Yeah, why wouldn't we stop for a while and watch a pretty lady dance when that pretty lady is a pretty pig? <laughs> well, the crowd loves this. And just as, you know, they're all getting built up and congratulating Piggy on looking gorgeous. Oh no, the lights go out. Ah. Uh, and the thieves take the opportunity to steal Lady Holiday's diamonds from off of her neck. But this also reveals Miss Piggy's deception to Kermit, because when the lights come back on and Lady Holiday's freaking out, everybody's asking her, Lady Holiday, Lady Holiday, what's wrong? And Kermit goes, but if she's Lady Holiday, who have I been dancing with? And when he turns around to see, Miss Piggy's gone, and all that's left is a glass slipper. Ooh, romance. In the mist. The mists. Well, the next day, Gonzo is developing the pictures he took at the club, and he finds out that he did manage to grab one picture of the thieves stealing the necklace mid snatch. They took it from her snatch? <laughs> Fuck me. Holy shit. Sarah, <laughs> what? <laughs> You said it, not me. I'm not the weirdo here. No, you you said it, you weirdo. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'd like to apologize to any parents who tuned in with their kids thinking, well, listen to this fun episode all about Muppets. Kids have got to learn about snatches someday. It's either from us or on the streets. Yeah, yeah. Snatches <laughs> and prehensile dicks. That's what you've come to this <laughs> How else are you going to grab a necklace? <laughs> From out of a snatch. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> he took a picture of the thieves stealing the necklace from Lady Holiday's <laughs> neck. And just as they're about to be like, hooray, we have evidence... Uh, a bunch of other Muppets burst in and ruined the negative and the developing process, and all their evidence is gone. Oh, no. So Kermit goes to the park to think with the glass slipper when uh, who should sit down next to him but one uncredited guest star in the film, Peter Falk. Loves this scene. Did not know about Columbo at the time. No, I mean, what child knows about Columbo at the time? That's the weird thing. I never, I don't think I ever lived anywhere where, like, Columbo was in reruns. And yet, as I grow up, I find more and more people have a very, a very strong familiarity with Columbo that I just was not aware of as a kid. Peter Falk was, I mean, I watched this before The Princess Bride, but it was this and Princess Bride and that's it. Yeah, yeah, right? So you knew him as a quote-unquote actor. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, there he is in a film, again. But never in a capacity of, 
oh, that's Peter Falk. I know what this whole trench coat cigar chomping thing is about. Yeah, I love the joke because it seemed very funny He's for somebody hot. to come down and just make this pronouncement based on zero evidence. Uh, it becomes funnier once you know about Columbo, but I do like my original reading of it, too. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it is funny. It's funnier with context. Um, and, you know, it's, it's just the joy of Peter Falk getting to do Peter Falk stuff, right? Like it, it's just Peter Falk. For all I know, he could have just shown up on this set one day, gone up to Jim Henson and gone, I'm Peter Falk. Do you have room in this movie for me? And Jim Henson's just, oh, shit. Fuck yes. Go. Sit down next to the frog now. This role was written scene. for an actively ashing cigarette, but we'll put Peter Falk in instead. <laughs> we were going to have any number of other people, but we found Peter Falk, and uh, it really is the best option here. Mm -hmm. He's hot. In this weird way, he's hot. Like I said, like an ashing cigarette. <laughs> so, yeah, they, they have this whole talk about blah blah blah, you know, you you went into the glass shoe business and everything went belly up and Kermit goes, well, you're, you're absolutely wrong. Everything you said is wrong. And Peter Falk says, well, one more thing. You want to buy a watch? <laughs> and to me, in my mind, that was always where the scene end, ended. And then this time it was like, listen, buddy, we're trying to make a movie here. And, and then you have the joke of Peter Falk going, I'm sorry, I didn't realize. <laughs> well, Kermit then finds Miss Piggy in the park after she's assaulted someone for whatever reason. We don't really see what the incident is about. We just see the repercussions of it. She's thrown somebody in a pond. Yeah, he got and, handsy. Uh, That's the they, implication. Yeah, but who knows? They go off and they talk to each other. They uh, they discuss, okay, so you lied to me. You're not really Lady Holiday. And, you know, but there's a spark. There's an undeniable spark between the two. And they are falling in love. So they apologize. And they, they hop on a pair of bikes because they're real people. Yes. And they go off bike riding around the park in something that is utterly impossible for actual puppets to do. But it's totally possible for Muppets to do because they are real beings with feelings and organs. Delicious organs. 100%. I, I have been told how this scene works. I have seen video. I have seen instructions on how to recreate this scene. And my brain, it just slides right off. It, this this feels like the last vestige of the believing in Santa Claus Easter Bunny Tooth Fairy thing. Of, <laughs> like I, I get it. Like if I if I sat down and really thought it out, yeah, I'd understand what's happening. But I don't want to. <laughs> I just I just don't. It's just this beautiful little magic of. Look at these Muppets, and oh look, Kermit's doing a handstand while riding the bike, while talking. That's not possible. You cannot do those three things and hide a puppeteer at the same time. 
You can if you're Kermit the Frog, who is his own person. He's his own person. Mm-hmm. Well, anyway, that, that scene ends. It's lovely. It's magical. They've, they've fallen back in love. And now the big fashion show is happening. And everyone is rushing around backstage. Models and model helpers and Lady Holiday herself. Yeah, we've all and seen Nikki Devil Wears takes, Prada. Yeah. Nikki takes a moment to try and get to get to know Piggy and to woo her. He's fallen in love with her. He can't stop thinking about her. Why, she's the only woman for him. He He's tried dating models. and th Those are fine if you like impossibly tall, thin, lithe, and beautiful women. <laughs> <laughs> and both of us, for very different reasons, go, yuck! <laughs> Yuckety yuck. <laughs> but yeah, I, I mean, I've been describing Charles Grodin's performance as horny. I don't think horny is enough. He, he acts like a man who's been given like a love potion from A Midsummer Night's Dream. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like this shouldn't be happening, but we don't see the inciting incident that would have made him... You're like, oh, whoops, he drank from that cup. Oh, no. And now the first felted person he sees, he'll fall in love with. No, this man is having trouble maintaining blood pressure in his head. Yeah, yeah. This this guy has a great big stack of uh, busty mupsies <laughs> under his bed. <laughs> <laughs> Campers, please, I'm, I'm going to land on don't make, don't make busty mupsies. Please do not. <laughs> All of the magazines are rated triple M. <laughs> <laughs> you can see so much felt. Oh my God. You thought Kermit's butthole was gaping. <laughs> 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 Why am I offended now? <laughs> oh no. I th I think this episode is rated triple M. <laughs> um, <laughs> not for human ears. Oh god, what have we done? Anyway, she brushes him off. She's she's just so not interested in him. So he reluctantly sets in motion a plan with the models. He's just like, oh, oh, I don't want to have to do this, Miss Piggy, but you've given me no choice. If I can't have you, I'm going to just ruin your life, I guess. So we get to see some of this fashion show. It's mostly kind of haute couture, you know, meant to be looked at, but not necessarily worn out in public. And it's, uh, it's all very like Princess Diana style, covered up to the neck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, backstage, oh no, an accident's happened. Marla has twisted her knee. Oh, Whatever no. will we do? And Nikki convinces Piggy. You have to go on for her instead. And she does. She comes out in this gorgeous outfit, you know, with frills and ruffles. And the crowd loves her. They love her so much 
that she goes into a dream sequence of an Aquapades musical number. Musical number rules. This, this thing is so technically impressive because we're getting underwater shots, we're getting out of water shots, and we never see the puppeteer. We are getting full body swimming, body moving, face emoting shots of Miss Piggy. I don't know how a lot of this was pulled off. Again, the, the, the magic of this movie, of just being like, how can I, what kind of things could I throw into a Muppet movie that would just be near impossible to shoot? I he realized how they did bar. one of the trick shots in this, um, this time around. I had mm -hmm. to uh, rewind a couple times to make sure. Um, but I think it's one of those things where realizing how they did it just emphasizes how incredible it was that they ever managed to pull this off to begin with. Go on. Okay, so it is the shot where Miss Piggy comes out of the water uh, with sparklers on, and I always wondered how did they get her to come out of the water with sparklers on, and the simple fact of the matter is the shot is reversed. If you watch this yes. shot closely, you can see the, the water jumping onto the dancer's arms. Uh, it is a very brief shot. Yeah. yeah, but it's very cool, and I never realized that before. Oh, no, no. I, I totally had the same thing as a kid, where I just kept on thinking, like, there's got to be something in the sparklers mm -hmm. that when they're exposed to air, they'll light up, right? That That's the only thing that makes sense. But then, even as a kid, I was looking at it, and I was going, but how was her hair dry? Yes! Yes! Right? So, yeah, it, it, it took me ages before I could figure that out myself. So it's, it's not like a, ha-ha, Sarah, you big old dummy. It's the, you're swept up in the spectacle. You, you're so invested in what's happening on the screen that even though it seems impossible, your brain doesn't want to parse it out just because you're enjoying it so much. Yeah, I feel like we would have sussed this out years earlier if we hadn't been enjoying ourselves so much. The movie's too good. It distracted us. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's the thing about, you know, uh, great magicians, mm -hmm. right? It's it's not that the, the, the trick has to be technically impressive. It doesn't have to be incredible. It just needs to be presented in such a way that we're enjoying ourselves so much we don't need to think about the artifice of it. Mm -hmm. Right? Uh, have you ever seen Penn and Teller Fool Us? I, I've seen clips and bits of that, but uh, I don't think I've ever actually sat down and watched it. So the whole point of each episode is that it's various magicians coming out and doing what's supposed to be their trick their big thing for mm. Penn and Teller and the idea of the show is if Penn or Teller are able to figure out what the trick is or how it's done and then explain it to the magician you the audience don't get to hear it obviously because mm -hmm. that'd be fucking awful <laughs> that would be really <laughs> fucking heartbreaking to be a magician and like, oh, oh thanks for spilling my secret yeah no no they they discuss it with the magician and if they can figure out how the trick is done, then you get eliminated. Mm. But if they can't figure it out, 
then you move on. Well, what they don't tell you in this quote-unquote judging process is they're also not consider. they don't really care about figuring out how the trick was done. They're more concerned with, were you able to entertain us enough that knowing how the trick is done doesn't matter? And mm. the best example of it is there's an episode where one guy is a sleight-of-hand magician, but his sleight-of-hand is purely around Rubik's Cubes. Okay. And so one of the tricks is he brings Penn and Teller up onto the stage, and he gets Penn to shuffle up a Ru- Rubik's Cube, right? Uh-huh. And he's, he's explaining the whole time, like, oh, yeah, the odds of you landing on a combination of squares that has been done before are one in 11 trillion, right? It's an astronomical mm-hmm. up- number, Right, and then he passes that same Rubik's cube onto you know Teller, and who also mixes it up, and he says, "Great, so th- this has never been seen before." And he picks the cube up, you know, full hand, and he shows them all six sides, and he's like, "Cool, that's this is your cube," and he sets it back down, and then he takes a paper bag and he takes a Rubik's cube, like a fully complete Rubik's cube, mm-hmm. and what he does is he sticks the Rubik's cube into the bag. And it's not like he puts it in a few seconds, pulls it out. He puts it in the bag, and then he pulls it back out. And when he pulls it back out, it is identical to the mixed-up Rubik's Cube that they've just done. The trick behind this is, Uh there's no trick. He's very good at Rubik's Cubes. Oh, damn. Okay. And that's like, and you can see it on their faces when they're when they're looking at it because they're just like, yeah, we know what the trick is. The trick is you're really good at Rubik's cubes. <laughs> Beyond that, there's no other skill to this. And of course, he does this in various other ways and multiple things. Right? He he's put a lot of flair into it. It's like but the Key and Peele uh, joke about the heist where you work somewhere for forty years. Yeah. Yeah, it's the fact that you've put in this much effort and you've done it so convincingly that we're just going to go, hell yeah. That was yeah. fucking amazing. <laughs> right? <laughs> you, you move on. Your magic is great. Right? And that's what's happening in these scenes, right? We don't care about the artifice. We don't, even even if you can see, like, the strings on the Muppet's hands or, mm. you know, whatever else. It doesn't matter because the way it's being presented is just so much fun. You go, yeah, sure. Love this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So anyway, um, big Aquapades number, all done in trans right colors, trans rights, mm-hmm. light blues, light pinks, whites. <laughs> and she ends the number by diving off of this beautiful water fountain into an actual water fountain that's at the end of the runway and she is soaked one of the rare cases where you can tell that a a muppet who is not designed to be performed in a full body suit is a full body suit and it's it's genuinely quite upsetting for a minute i think Mm -hmm. but uh quickly everybody rushes to her to be oh my goodness are you okay is everything fine and and Nikki brings over her coat, and she reaches into the pocket and says, Ooh, what's this? And pulls out Lady Holiday's stolen necklace, minus all the diamonds. 
And Charles Grodin delivers an, uh, an impeccable line. Miss Picky, how could you? <laughs> <laughs> Miss uh, Charles gets... Grodin is putting his whole mussy into this movie. <laughs> Muppet pussy? <laughs> Listen, you're the one who made it filthy. <laughs> Miss Piggy gets dragged off by the cops, and Lady Holiday is interviewed about this betrayal and how she'd be putting the fabulous baseball diamond on display at the Mallory Gallery. And then somebody asks her, Will you, <laughs> will you be hiring any pigs in the future? And she says, Well, I will be thinking twice before I do. <laughs> Valuable lesson on prejudice there. <laughs> oh my god. Holy shit. This reminds me of the first time I saw um, a joke. I saw a joke that was like, the pro-cons of walruses moving into your neighborhood. And I was like, this is hilarious. And one of the things was walruses lower property values. And I was like 11. And I thought that this was the funniest thing I'd ever heard. Um, I did not realize that part, a genuine argument against desegregation or integration was that black people allegedly lower property values um, and when I heard that I was like oh like the walruses <laughs> one of those things where you're like this what I thought was a joke I didn't truly understand at the time and now this has a much darker edge to it <laughs> why can't she hire yeah. pigs again <laughs> Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, while Lady Holiday is talking to the press about the fabulous baseball diamond, Nikki plans with the models to steal it from the gallery. But Gonzo also overhears the plan, so he relays their plan to the other Muppets. So it's like a, I heard this, I heard this, I heard this. Yeah, you know, it's a lovely little cascade of events. Mm-hmm. Kermit wants to stop the crooks, and he needs the help of all the other Muppets, but they all back out because of how dangerous it could be. For shame! <laughs> That's a very good Fozzie. Thank you. Uh, yeah, Fozzie shames them into helming out, and they end the scene with everyone being catapulted back into the wall by the Murphy bed. It's funny. It's, yeah, that's just a funny joke. We love seeing this joke. I still don't understand how the light bulb falls out at the exact right time every time. This movie is just... I turn into a child in front of it. The bright lights, they amuse me so. <laughs> they do. <laughs> I would argue it's around this Miss point B that the movie really slows down. This is usually around the time I stopped watching as a kid. Mm, really? Yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't find the last act of this very interesting. I think the movie's like high point is the fashion show. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Miss Piggy is visited in jail by her lawyer, who is secretly Kermit in disguise. No wonder it took him so long to visit. He had to finish law school, <laughs> which is a brilliant line. <laughs> He lets Piggy in on the plan to stop the heist and that he still loves her as the woman who scarfed down all that caviar. 
see, this is why I need uh, the Kermit to my niece Piggy, because I'm definitely, I'm definitely the type to scarf <laughs> some caviar. Griffin Newman, how do you feel about women who can scarf down caviar? <laughs> Uh, and they the, end the, the scene bit where kiss they kiss the and her mustache transfers over is one of the images yeah. of this film to me. That's great. It's so good. So we now go to everyone preparing for the heist. The crooks are setting themselves up with high-tech shit like computer deprogrammers and laser things. And the Muppets are setting themselves up with gags like whoopee cushion and fake vomit. About and the paper towels. out of... Miss Piggy busts out of her cell single-handedly by just bending the bars out of sheer rage. <laughs> so the first two groups arrive at the Mallory Gallery. I love saying that. That's a, it's such a good idea. <laughs> the Mallory Gallery at roughly the same time with the Muppets wearing clever disguises. They're all in Groucho glasses with big fake noses. Children today don't know what Groucho glasses are. Children today would still think this is funny as fuck because they're all Muppets in bad disguises. Yeah. Uh, they aren't exactly stealthy and they quickly get chased off by the cops and some dogs. Miss Piggy stops a truck driver. Uh, previous star on the show, Sir Peter Ustinov from Logan's Run. Now you're just some Peter that I used to know. Some Peter that I used to know. <laughs> you fucking weirdo. <laughs> that joke she's, never she's... gets a laugh other than from me. Yeah. She steals his truck from him, dropping him right next to Oscar the Grouch, who's doing a short cameo in this film. My toe. The crooks make it in using a reverse sonic screwdriver because apparently this thing only works on deadbolts. Hey! And, mm -hmm, and the Muppets trick their way into the Mallory Gallery with a fake pizza delivery. But I hate pepperoni! This uh, this guy is just doing... Uh, he is lifting this part of the movie on his back. Oh, yeah. No, he, he's doing the lion's share of the work in this scene. Well, unfortunately, after apparently just a few kilometers... It keeps saying miles in the film on, sh on like, signs and stuff. It wouldn't in the UK. It would say kilometers. Miss yeah, Piggy's truck get realistic. breaks down. This is, this is where my suspension of disbelief comes to a shuddering halt with <laughs> miles on the side. Uh, the Muppets are chased up a drain pipe by some dogs after the dogs had finished their pizza. And this is also another thing where I look at it and I'm like, how did they get Muppets to go up a drain pipe? I, do, I just, I don't get it. They're moving fast, too. Yeah, their arms and legs are going up and down and everything's moving... And they're, and they're talking. They're still talking at the yes. same time. Some of the chickens are flying Ugh. up. Well, that's because chickens can fly. They're birds. Yeah, <laughs> don't be ridiculous. So crooks, <laughs> yeah. And so the crooks make their way into the security control room. 
Piggy is luckily saved when a traveling group of stuntmen accidentally lose one of their motorcycles off of the back of their truck by the side of the road. What an unbelievable coincidence. You wanted excitement. See, now- that was that was in one of the trailers uh, before one of our VHS copies. So that's one of those lines that's burned into my head. You wanted excitement. Mm-hmm. The, the crooks managed to disable the security system as the Muppets managed to earn access to the roof above the fabulous baseball diamond, and the two groups converge on it at the same time. And then, through a series of stunts, Miss Piggy evades some cops on her motorcycle. Great. Awesome. Miss Piggy said A-cab. Yeah, we all said A-cab. Just as the thieves managed to actually, although did you see, did you see the um, the pride the, car, uh, cop car, the pride, yeah, the pride cop car. So for <laughs> those of you who don't beautiful. know, the NYPD um, got special pride livery, and some brave unknown queer artist put the phrase "All colors are beautiful" on it, and I think that's lovely. <laughs> Love these cops driving around in a car that hates them. <laughs> some some queer artist said, you're hiring me to create what for Pride? <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll do that. Ah, but don't put any dicks in it. Alright, I won't put any dicks in it. During Pride, the month in which we uh, traditionally celebrate the police... <laughs> They've done so much for us, Sarah. Like, <laughs> hey, without um, the cops, we wouldn't even have pride. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they've given us uh, fetishes. Uh, yeah. It's it's like we're <laughs> arguing that the Titanic wouldn't be famous if it wasn't for that iceberg. So what were they complaining about? <laughs> All those lobsters in the kitchen got to be set free. <laughs> That's true. We never got to see the happy lobster families reuniting. Yeah, that's that's the sequel to Titanic I want to see. All the live lobsters in the kitchen suddenly living their best lives. Yeah, the, the orcas of the who, many have, rich people. who have freed them, uh, chanting in solidarity for their comrades. Oh my god, what if the orcas pushed the iceberg into the path of the Titanic... It was an inside orca job all along. Good for them. Yeah, I'm on the side of the orcas. Yeah. Anyway, just as the thieves manage to get their hands on the fabulous baseball diamond, the Muppets get the drop on them, literally, and play a game of keep away. But Nikki eventually manages to get the diamond and draw a gun on Kermit. Oh no, a gun. A, a legitimate threat in this film to these felted people. Well, thankfully, he's rescue as Piggy launches herself through a window on a motorcycle and kicks everyone's ass. Feminist icon of the stage and screen, Miss Piggy. Mm-hmm. The guards show up, arrest the burglars, and exonerate Piggy. Hooray! 
on the flight back home, everyone is now on uh, now there. You know, everybody from the Happiness Hotel they've decided to come back to the states for unknown reasons, muppety reasons. Why not? They're also here, and they all get jettisoned thirty thousand feet above the USA, so they're forced to parachute back down. Muppet roll call. The end. The end. The end. Come to think of it, the ending is very much like the end of uh, Midsummer Night's Dream, where Puck looks directly into the camera and says, this was a play. If you got weird about it, don't be weird about it. It was just a play. Bro. Bro is indicated in the end of each of Puck's lines in a Midsummer Night's Dream. Yeah, it's the, um, hey, if you felt real horny about that dude who turned into a donkey... Don't worry, it doesn't say anything deep and innate about you. It's just a play, guys. <laughs> yeah, apparently, um, <laughs> apparently, uh, hypnosis kink uh, has been linked in so many people back to watching um, the Jungle Book that therapists will like get frustrated when everybody's like, um, "So you know the snake from the Jungle Book? This is kind of weird." But and they're like, "Skip to the end. I've heard this before." Yeah, some people have a praise kink. Some people have a submission kink. Other people have a uh, that snake sure did something to me kink. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Anyway, mm-hmm. that's the Great Muppet Caper. It's the best Muppet movie. That is, the, that is the Great Muppet Caper. But Sarah, sweetie pumpkin, honey, is the Great Muppet Caper camp? Uh... Absolutely, yes, and I want to pin a rosette on Charles Grodin's lapel to award him for uh, uh, special achievements in camp for this movie. How about you? Is the Great Muppet Caper Camp? Yes, unlike the previous Muppet movie, the Muppet movie, the Great Muppet Caper is absolutely camp because it knows what kind of movie it's aping, what kind of movie it's pulling from. And it both relishes in it while slightly subverting some of it too. It's you know, that that loving homage with a wink and a nod, and hey, Charles Groden, how unbelievably horny can you get for this pig? <laughs> oh, can you do it for the rest of your life? Great. Dame Diana Rigg is also here. Being very yeah. funny without being um, a funny character. Like, she's doing a lot of invisible work in setting up this comedy, I think. Yeah, I, I think... She, and it's it doesn't feel phoned in. It doesn't feel over the top. She is the straight person in this very silly film. Mm-hmm. And... That's a hard role to have. That's a hard person to be without being a bummer, right? Without being yeah. the person that's constantly going like, ugh, all these ridiculous people around me. I mean, occasionally she's saying all these ridiculous people around her, but that's more in a, ugh, ugh I'm so expensive. Kind of <laughs> I think way, you've, right? you've identified like uh, why people, why a lot of people don't like Walter in the Muppets reboot. 
is he is forced to be the straight man and he is the least interesting character on screen. Mm Mm-hmm. Muppets are just inherently goofy. They're all goofy goobers. Mm -hmm. All of them. (laughs) And Walter seems to be the one who's trying desperately not to be a goofy goober. Yeah. Which we will eventually get to, but is why I have a problem with that movie. Yeah, don't fight your genetics, Walter. (laughs) Your felty, muppety (laughs) genetics. Oh... Do we have anything else to say about The Great Muppet Caper other than if if you made it this far and you haven't watched it, like, go watch it. Just watch it. Go watch it. It's a great movie. What are you doing with your... Find a, ch- find a child, indoctrinate them <laughs> <laughs> into Muppets. Into the Muppets. So thank you for joining us today on our exploration of The Great Muppet Caper. Please subscribe on your podcaster of choice. Leave a star rating and review where you can, because it always helps us to find new people who may not know what their camp favorite is. Yes, and next week we are leaving one of our continuing series of trying to watch everything and something and seeing if we can go into a different series of maybe watching everything in in its oeuvre. We'll be watching the sequel to The Pink Panther. A shot in the dark! God damn it. I think this episode has to rate highest for splutter laughs. Um, I was going into The Pink Panther uh, blank, but like I knew what a Pink Panther film was. I have no idea what this is going to be. Yeah, so from what I understand is, with the success of The Pink Panther everybody's eyes were on Clouseau. They were just like, oh, this is the star of the film. This is the person that we want to spin off and make you know, the entire series about him solving various crimes and just being a complete bumbling fool about it. Great, love this. So with the second film, they called it A Shot in the Dark, but I don't think it did quite as well because people were expecting a Pink Panther title. Mm-hmm. And that's why after this film, it reverts back to Pink Panther, despite the fact that the Pink Panther, which is the gemstone, does not show up in any of the the sequel films. They are just about Clouseau. But these films will get progressively weirder <laughs> as it goes on as well. Uh, I think in this film, you will be introduced to... Uh, Clouseau's straight man, which is his boss, who eventually becomes a supervillain who designs a ray that can destroy cities from anywhere in the world. <laughs> See, it's sometimes I wonder how Pink Panther got turned into a cartoon, and then sometimes I hear stuff like this. Yeah, yeah, but uh, unfortunately this film may also involve some racisms... <laughs> Mm. Uh, yeah yeah so we we will discuss it when it shows up and I think after we do this film we'll also decide whether or not we wish to continue with this series of films which as I say get weirder and wackier and also has Diane Cannon in it at one point as a love interest (laughs) as a love interest but there's there's uh, sometimes (laughs) sometimes when comedians are given like laissez-faire to do whatever they want they make genius movies and sometimes they just um go on vacation with their friends a lot and i'm really interested to see what this movie does yeah it's 
it's different. We'll see. But uh, I believe there's also a, a nudist beach in this film. I think this is one of the films that I actually saw the least as a child. But uh, yeah, A Shot in the Dark, the sequel to The Pink Panther. It's got some more famous Europeans in it, and it's directed by Blake Edwards. So this will be our third, fourth Blake Edwards? Oh, it's got to be something like that. Yeah. No, this will be our fourth. Yeah, We've we done like... um, Victor Victoria, The Great Race, and The Pink Panther. So this will be our fourth. That's it. Yes. This will be our fourth Blake Edwards. So Blake Edwards pulling far ahead in our uh, most watched director role. This is part of my long-term scheme to meet Julie Andrews. That's that's all this is. Mm-hmm. Excellent choice. It's brilliant. But in the meantime, you, our audience, our campers, can continue the discussion on our Twitter and our Instagram. I am at Chris Indigo, all one word, R-H-Y-S, spelled the Welsh way. And I am at Sour Citrus Lady. You can follow the pod on at Is It Camp Pod. Until next week, wait an hour before swimming, watch out for snakes, and stay camp. Bye! Sarah and I are actually identical twins. Oh, hold on. Let me put on this hat. <clears throat> See? Oh, yeah. Okay, not too kind. No, not the way you do it.